Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined by Tom Kennett. And for this episode, we're going to be taking a look at the newly released Amazon documentary, Arsenal All or Nothing. Episode 8 then, the finale titled North London Forever. Last one here. When I've been asked about this for the last couple of weeks, I was asked my thoughts on it. And each time my response was, I mean, it'd be slightly better if they could change the ending and it really would have made this perfect. But (laughs) unfortunately, I've known this is coming. We start with the Arteta contract extension and we get a little bit of a candid moment from him where he says it's just a nice moment for him because he says there was talk about him going elsewhere and there was weirdly there was the rumbling slightly wasn't there of oh well he might go to Man City after Pep goes and Mm. I'm sure there wasn't too much in it but the rumours were still there he was being asked about the fact that he'd only have one year left on his deal he says people would stop asking if he's going to be sacked after every bad result (laughs) And we just get this little moment from him and uh, the comments on the radio from Martin Keown included saying he wasn't sure about the decision. <laughs> yeah, it's, there's an optimism at the start of this that really does feel a bit heartbreaking for him. Yeah, I, I still do feel with his contract extension from what we know now, it was essentially he was told he had to get us back into Europe this season. We secure Europa League against United. And so... They put the contract offer down. I do think it would have been harsh, maybe the wrong word, but it would have been surprising if even if he hadn't signed the new deal, we got to the end of the season and they said, right, we're going to move on and go elsewhere. And now that we see what the atmosphere is like inside the camp, it makes a lot more sense to me. Yeah, upon reflection as well, is it if you were going to fail to get in the Champions League, is it better to then give him a contract after you've failed? Uh, doesn't that then... Yeah, what they tried doing with Emery, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, then that's probably a bigger problem than yeah, what I get they you. did by giving him before because you've rewarded failing, whereas at least yeah. at this point you thought, wow, we're still going to do it. And thought about it like that. Maybe uh, they thought it would give them a bit of a boost as well with the timing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably thought that would get us over the line. And uh, yeah, double whammy. We get another physio room moment where Ramsdale is flexing his signed shirt from Ronaldo. It's not a bit sick, though. I don't know if you read it. There was a fairly long article a while back on The Athletic where they they explained the kind of culture of shirt swapping and how it's just nothing compared to what it would have been back in the day. And because of the distaste, really, around players seeing... You go up and the big one I always think of is uh, Andre Santos and he swapped shirts with Van Persie while they were beating us 2-0. Yeah. And Van Persie's obviously back. (laughs) That was at the Emirates as well. Now, some managers have banned it. They say that it's essentially the kit man does it. You get two shirts per season at most clubs and then any shirt after that you essentially have to pay for. And that comes out of your wages and they barely notice it, I'm sure. Yeah. The majority of what's going to be a couple, a hundred or something quid for each shirt. But 
what will happen is the kit man, almost another job these days, is there's a WhatsApp group with all of the kit men in the league. <laughs> and so they'll have each other's numbers and there will be a big request sheet put through before every match game, every match day, sorry, where they'll say, such and such wants this shirt, such and such wants this shirt, such and such wants this shirt, to arrange for the kit man to bring that many extra shirts for each game. And then in the days after, they'll post them or hand them over at the game, depending on the results and who it is or whatever. And they'll almost just get this batch of shirts to hand out to the players of whoever they arranged to have before. And it can be that Ronaldo's giving out multiple shirts, but obviously they really want the one that he's worn during the game. And so Ronaldo is a big one and they say they'll have people sneakily coming up to the kit man weeks in advance. Look, can you get me that Ronaldo shirt in a couple of weeks? <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you see Saka, doesn't he? He's like, no, you're joking. You're, you're, you're joking. I'm not biting. And then he just reveals this Ronaldo shirt that he's picked up. And Saka looks livid. Yeah, yeah. Ramsdale was buzzing. The other lads were jealous. It's just, oh... I hated to see it. Yeah, but it just brought me back where he said, look what's just arrived today. And obviously this looks like the week after the United game. Yeah, yeah. So you can point. see how it goes there. Getting Ronaldo to sign it after a loss feels like it must have been done at the start of the following week. I can't imagine you going back in the dressing room, the United kit man's going, can you sign this one for Rambo? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a good point. It says an awful lot about the man's ego, though. <laughs> yeah, look, I'm lovely. Uh, I'd like to see a fan go off happy. How many players do you think are offended that they aren't asked for their shirt free- more frequently? Imagine um, Dean Henderson was going back into the United <laughs> changing rooms going, oh, what are you asking for Ronaldo's sign shirt? What about mine? <laughs> well, they, they say that some will refuse it. Some will refuse to do it. And Tielemans is one of them where... Because of superstition, according to him, he will play unless they're ripped or whatever with the same two shirts throughout the season. And it does seem and the superstition to... doesn't doesn't yeah. extend to not washing them. Well, yeah, he definitely. That's what I was about to say. That uh, might explain why no one's signing him. <laughs> the man doesn't wash his shirts all year. Stinks. So it feels a big thing to say he washes his own shirts or he washes and reuses the same shirt. But Tony it... takes the kit home with him. Puts the wash on himself. <laughs> it's it's rare that they do do that. And there was a player. You're just gonna have loads of shit players being like, "No, I morally refuse." Obviously, you know, I, I don't swap my shirts. Everyone's asking me. I can't think of, there was a player that went over to the MLS, and I think he played for Villa, but I can't think who it was. Juan Pablo Angel. Can't think. Maybe it was West Ham. Maybe it was Marlon Harewood or something. Rio Coco. Rio Coco was the one that went over, wasn't he? Yes. It was, yeah, because yeah, I, when I was uh, yeah, yeah. at the call centre, I had a conversation with his cousin. <laughs> <laughs> but he was quite protective of his shirts and there was a big thing where players would ask to swap for him and he would make a thing where he's like, well, this is the first time I played in such and such famous stadium and he would keep his shirt for that reason rather than me swapping them, and that would create some issue and just confusion among the players. But essentially, I said all that to say, it's not what we think where they get back into the dressing room and they walk into each other and go, Bruno, can I have your shirt? Okay, Bruno's is taking, can I have yours? So this is more of a process than we think, yeah. Yeah. 
And it just seems another one of those things where the players are just not having to put the graft in anymore. Yeah, yeah. You don't have two inter players fighting for Henri shirt at the end of a game. <laughs> we then get this kind of training incident that was included in every single trailer. Yeah. It's not a good look for Lacazette, is it? Well, I'm assuming people have got the issue with him just booting that lad. Is that the is that the issue? Yeah, that that's a kid that's just turned 17. Yeah, because it, it, he looks every bit the kid as well. And it's clear that it's just not going for Lacquer in that session. He's lost the ball. And he has just booted him into touch. I don't know. What does Cedric say to him? Because he obviously... Because I thought, right, Cedric's going to see that and he's just going to steam into him. But he doesn't. He obviously is walking past him and says something, isn't he? So I was trying to avoid it, but you saw the articles that came out beforehand when the press got a hold of uh, these episodes. Mm. And from people that were there and all of this, where they look into it after... He he did an equivalent of, you think you're a big man doing this to, to a kid. You wouldn't do that to. Right, I assume whoever. it was something along those lines. Yeah. Um, yes. Inter- interesting though. Laka seemed to be like, oh well, I apologise now. So. Fair enough. <laughs> it, it's it's just a bad look in it because if, if we had this the whole way through and there was a thing previously wasn't there about Lacazette and training if they'd said something in that where it's like Lacazette he always plays close to the edge on training this is what makes him so brilliant he pushes everyone to another level but it did just come across as he's been made to look a fool by a kid getting past him and it's I think it's Jack Henry Francis or something like that Something along those lines, but it's just a kid, basically. Do you just exclusively take double-barreled names in the, in the YouTube <laughs> yeah. Map, so. yeah, it, but it's, it's something. I mean, it's, it's something like that, but it's just a little skinny kid that he's decided that he's going to take his anger out on because it's yeah. not even anywhere close to the ball. It was pretty classic. Uh, well, I mean, senior pro that's passed it really is kind of what yeah. that would happen. Is that he's shot to bits? This young kid showing him up, and he takes out on him. I like that he went for a throat with Cedric, though. That probably showed the most fight that Mac has shown about this whole thing. My thing I was going to say here, and I was going to say it for the end of the episode, but my overriding feeling when we got to the end of this series was they looked at the Spurs one, and there was an effort, at least among the players, to make no one memeable. And you look at the Spurs one, and we're mocking. Deli Ali after and we're mocking Danny Rose after and I don't yeah, think there's any man. Arsenal player in particular that comes out like that and I wondered if they include this if Lacazette is still at the club how do you mean if Lacazette is still at Arsenal this season because this is probably and I'm sure, I'm sure in football these things do happen far more frequently. Oh, most definitely. I, I wonder if, if Lacazette is still at the club this season and in, not maybe not the captaincy role, but being one of the more senior players in the team, they if, if they include this moment that makes him look quite petulant and really just is about as bad a look as we see from anyone in this documentary, because I imagine there's just more moments like this that we don't see. So I don't know if when Arsenal are doing their sign-off, that plays into it that we aren't really damaging the reputation of someone that we're carrying into next season. Yeah, you're probably right. 
they probably do cut it, don't they? But it's, at the same time, this is probably one of those things where the producers really probably do fight for, well, look, a training ground scrap. And yeah. It's not really much of a scrap, but that's something we can clip and put as a trailer, right? Like you yeah. said, you couldn't move for this because it was in every trailer. Yeah. So um, I think they would really push for this to be in. This is completely off topic, by the way. I just want you to hear it in uh, the week of these kind of things happening. United have just had an £80 million bid rejected for Anthony from Ajax. <laughs> €80 million, Euros, sorry, but still. Just all over the place. Yeah, they are. Uh, <laughs> it's like trying to chuck your weight around, but... You're just too failing. slow and you're just missing everyone. This is Lacazette pushing. Yeah, I was about to say, they're just a Lacazette version. At the end of this transfer window, they're going to put someone, uh, a strangle on someone who probably doesn't deserve it. People are saying they're surprised Ajax have rejected that. I think when your first offer is 80 million, you kind of play your hand a bit there. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, Same as with the Atletico turning down the Yao Felix. They're 100% thinking, I'll come back. Yeah. I'll fucking come back. <laughs> yeah. Well, from Lacazette to another model professional, uh, we get a Rob Holding moment and it plays into the West Ham game, which follows on. But he's talking about his substitute role here and he jokes to say, well, it does seem to be the case this season that we go 1-0 up and we just bring me on <laughs> <laughs> to shore things up. But at the end of the season, I'm playing more now if we go on to achieve what I hope we can achieve, I'll feel like I have contributed. And I thought there's someone when you look at the limited minutes he's had that is able to embrace his role, buys into his role and just makes the most of it. And so this is pretty much a dream player for Arteta to have in this role in his team. Yeah, he really is. It kind of comes across as, Probably the most down-to-earth, I think, of all of them. He says, you get paid to play football every day, why wouldn't you be happy? Yeah, which is a little bit, I think, uh, playing to the camera a little bit. He knows knows the audience. But I think <laughs> he's, in terms of his behaviour, he does seem to be about that, which yeah. is, is absolutely right. You, you probably should be ecstatic every single day in his in his life. I also thought, total side note, but when you have people... I've never really thought of it this much, but when you have people dropping with injuries like you have, you do realise why managers love players who don't get injured. Yeah. Because there must be just like, thank fuck I don't have to think about you might be breaking down. Well, it it creates a different uh, picture at the end of the season, but that was one of the big reasons why they say the money was spent on Ben White is that his availability is just almost always available. Yeah. He misses, what, two matches really throughout the season they don't include him on the last game because the top four's gone but other than that he misses i mean two important games but ultimately <laughs> yeah. it is two games throughout the season because he even played in all of the carabao cup games the oh you sound like you were about to ask something before i went on that no rob holding yeah i was just with him uh no, just point out the dream really, and then it follows on to the West Ham game because he's starting here. He gets oh no, no, I did I was gonna ask something. Sorry. Um, do you think holding getting his hair and teeth done had anything to do with the Amazon cameras coming the following season? <laughs> you don't rule it out. I mean he's 
it really was a transformation for him. It really has done wonders for the guys. I'd forgotten Gabrielle actually had a great shape up before it all went wrong. Going to where uh, <laughs> wherever he's gone to have his done, and he's got to be looking. I'm thinking like one day because I think it's in this game where he gets the goal. It looks pristine. I mean, it's a bit further back than he'd like it to be, but as far as Schaefer's go, I mean, he's in, he's in great form. So there we go. Um, Arteta's voice at halftime against West Ham. I'm so glad you said this because I've noted every time his voice breaks, it absolutely kills me. They are physically dead. The one where he gets right into Virus's face and his that's voice a, that's is That's after gone. the game. That's his after voice, the game. Yeah. Right. His voice is just completely gone. He says, uh, I killed you in the first half and you fucking deserved it. <laughs> and he's yanking him out of his seat and Tavares like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, he's thinking, I can't have a clue. Again, well, he looks like he's going to belt him. Because he, he has to basically <laughs> smile him through it. Basically, it's all right, mate. Don't worry. Well, yeah, he looks like he's about to smack him one. <laughs> mm. Yeah, yeah, because he's right in his face. And if Tavares doesn't really know what he's on about, he probably is thinking, is, am I, <laughs> is he having a go at me or is he buzzing it? Because as I said, it's the it's like the second or third shot he's made at him in like two episodes where mm. he, he's just really digging him out. As I say, deservingly. But if there was going to be a fractured relationship, I mean, fair play to Nuno because he does seem to take it all in his stride. You can tell who Arteta obviously quickly establishes who he can do this with and who he can't. Which is again, son of a good manager sort of knows people, knows their relationships. Because for example. He's not doing this with Pepe, for example. I think he no, knows, no. I can't really do that. <laughs> no, and Smith Rowe would be more of a, like, whacking him on the back, maybe a bit too hard, but he's not doing it in, uh, <laughs> yeah. in the same way. I thought with Tavares, just even in the dinner table conversations, you did see a kind of growth in him throughout the season, even just the way he was being involved more, the way he just looked more comfortable, he was laughing and getting in on the jokes, and maybe he actually just understood the conversation better, but... He looked by the end of the season to be finding himself a lot more. Yeah, it's a shame uh, some of his performances were gone off <laughs> yeah. because, as a character, he seems to be coming out of his shell and growing. We don't see much of him in that United game, but if you remember that, that was absolutely yeah. horrifying. <laughs> yeah. Gives away the penalty, which we see, but we don't see anything about it. Um, the press ask this, uh, we, so we say about Arteta's yeah. voice, this post West Ham game. It's the first time that the team can't really hold it together. Yeah. And they're just openly <laughs> yeah. laughing and Arteta going mad. It's great. I guess you can do it when you've won is, yeah, is the big yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. He's asked in a press conference about Rob Holding being compared to Cannavaro in the uh, team's <laughs> chance. The way it's shot as well, it's like the journalist is actually asking. <laughs> <laughs> so where do you rank the two? That I thought that was as well. But in mind, obviously, again... I've sort of laboured the point a bit about how this is going to American audience who maybe don't have access to or don't know much about the Premier and maybe get involved. This is one of those things where that is very English. Like, could you imagine uh, a situation where a teammate is jokingly referred to as like better than LeBron? Like, if someone just has a good game who wouldn't normally have a good game, and you go, so better than LeBron, that like that would just be like an American would take that on face value, wouldn't they? And be like, better than LeBron is he? This guy's serious. The closest I remember to it is um, when RJ Barrett signed with the Knicks. And yeah. he was calling himself the Maple Mamba. <laughs> and they were bringing it up to, do you think that's a bit much him comparing himself to Kobe? And I seem to remember the coach at the time saying, 
I, I think it's just a nice tribute. I don't think he's actually comparing himself to Kobe. Yeah. And then when there was all the RIP Kobe tweets, he was like, just so everyone knows, I'm going to be dropping the nickname. No one called you this anyway. <laughs> yeah, you were calling yourself that, mate. So up to you what you call yourself. But yeah, I just thought the, the idea of that and um, like ironic chance from fans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, chance from fans must be a lot for Americans to get their head around anyway. But ones that are sort of praising, but also simultaneously ironic must be so weird to them. Yeah, the chat is literally Rob Holding, you know, better than Cannavaro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They must think, so is this guy better than Cannavaro? <laughs> I, I didn't need another close-up of the goddamn moose either. Get that man <laughs> off my screen. The problem is with that tuna pancakes thing, you cannot see him without no. seeing that and just feeling ill. Really no. ill. Now, Arteta seems to take credit with finding the North London Forever song shortly after this he says <laughs> i've been looking for months for an anthem that can really get us together with the fans and i think i have found it let me tell you now obviously you would have been more in tune with this north london forever business than i am i was utterly terrified when he said he was looking for a song of that one i thought we were getting <laughs> tina turner simply the best and he was gonna go full brunt on us so what what happened was and as far as i can tell it wasn't coordinated in any way at all. I remember going on Twitter one day and one of the Arsenal journalists shared it and said, this is really great. We've been looking for a you'll never walk alone equivalent. Mm. And we just something, because there's just complaints about whatever songs played in the Emirates before the game. I think people were fed up of right here, right now. Was it fat boy slim London calling had mixed reception. Um, I said the uh, Elvis one they used to have the titles just escaped. The wonder of you. Yeah, the wonder of you. They had all Get sorts. That back. Yeah. I, I quite like that. Um, mm. But they were looking for something because each time it was like, this isn't Arsenal. And I think this song had been out a while. So it must just be someone with a high following shared it once. And, you know, Arsenal Twitter is a powerful thing. And very quickly it just snowballed and snowballed and snowballed. And within a week, even within a few days, they had him at the training ground, which I thought they were going to show. Meeting Arteta, speaking and explaining the song and all of this. The issue is that you struggle to play the whole song before the game because it's the song essentially is this place might be a shithole, but it's our shithole. And that is basically <laughs> the theme of the song. But it's talking about uh, the hookers on the corner, the brothel on the high street, the crackheads around the crackheads around the way and all of these things <laughs> included in it. And that's like all in the first verse. And so really what they do is they play out the chorus from it. Now I'm kind of indifferent with it. I, I can get on board. It does sound cool whenever you have a crowd singing one song kind of unanimously. And the first time it was played, I was quite surprised with how many knew it and how many were singing along before the Leeds game. And it was really a moment in the stadium. Uh, it captured it pretty well in the dock as well. I thought. Yeah, it was actually it was louder than it came across in the documentary because the main feedback after was they want the lyrics on screen because for people that don't have any social media, you feel quite left out because you won't right. have a clue what the hell's going on. But because of... Um, so the first time they did it, and maybe why they didn't show the whole thing, is they played it from the start of the song. 
just like a cut version and so it was like and the uh, around the uh, and so you had this which was people struggled to get in with and then almost like a rush just as the huddle starts the chorus kicks in now they just play the chorus but they still haven't quite mastered it it sounds like self-appreciation here i think the first intros we had where it would be music and rather than the the theme going the whole way across i would have music stop and you'd hear a piece of commentary and then the music would continue and it's like that it seems like someone just prays press play and stop on the chorus with no fading or anything and so it still feels a bit clunky but the crowd do seem to like it and i guess as it's a fairly new thing they're still trying to figure it out but I was surprised Arteta said that he had some kind of involvement with it, and I don't know what he expected the players to say when he said, if it's all right with you, we'll play it before the game. Yeah, could you imagine if they'd done like a vote and be like, oh, this, not a chance. I've, I've got to think, for one, they show Gabrielle and he looks like he thinks, what the hell is this about? And we <laughs> <Yeah>. can... <laughs> He's probably confused. We saw some of his English beforehand around Christmas, and so I think it is better by then, but even then, you're not going to know half of these words. So I think Arteta does a reasonably good job of just saying, this is a way that the fans can identify with us and say that this is their home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gabriel Jesus has supposedly been quite big around the training ground of telling all the Brazilian players that they need to sort their English out as a priority. And he's been quite big with that. So I thought that was quite interesting, yeah. actually. Um, if you check an interview with Fabio Vieira, was there, he spoke like no English when he signed and he's having full-on conversations during the pre-season tour. So madhouse, quickly some of these guys could adjust to it. It, it is funny how quick some of and how some just never. It's like yeah. I know he's the easy one, but like Tevez just basically barely had a word. <laughs> he was here for quite a while. Some just refused, and or maybe some do the Anderson Silva thing, where Chell was pointing out, like he knows, like he speaks this well enough. It's just easier for him not to. Yeah, and, and I think particularly in a football world where they're always looking for you to slip up, it's probably better not to say anything than than yeah. worry about being misinterpreted in the language. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um. Did spend a bit longer on the North London forever because it is Spurs next, unfortunately. You can't um, avoid it, mate. Sorry. We didn't get the slow motion. This is what everyone's here for, I'll be honest. Yeah. People, this is probably going to be our most listened to one of you, <laughs> so I'm going to have a guess. I thought we were going to get the slow motion of Luke Ayling two-footing Martinelli in that Leeds game. <laughs> they kind of gloss over, don't they? And they're like, oh, and Leeds pull a goal back at the end of the game. When it was really tense, that last half an hour after we battered them, most shots ever in a, in a half of Arsenal football. And then the second half, they score one goal and we just shit ourselves. But Spurs game. Pretty good team talk by Arteta. Again, no gimmicks. It's just purely, this is what we've worked for. This is our opportunity to go and snatch it, go out there. Did you think we queried the game plan before? Did you think that was kind of pre-game talk in which he said, if we counter-press them as well as we can, they don't have anything for us in the final third and they won't be able to catch up, basically, and it'll be easy. Did you think that was just kind of the fighting talk or did you think he genuinely did think that this was going to be a lot easier than it turned out to be? 
Yeah. It felt a bit naive either way. Because if you if you did think that, you probably should have known better. And even if it was fighting talk, I think there was a certain amount to which we probably all felt going in, you had to probably take the sting out of the game early on. Yeah. Um, and that crowd, which they did a good job of showing how up for it the crowd was in this documentary. Um, you kind of played into their hands in terms of raising the atmosphere where you should have been trying to spend the opening space trying to kill it. Yes. And so in that sense, it was probably a little bit naive, but it was he was a, kind of working what he had at that point as well, I think. It was a good team talk, but I thought, if anything, it wasn't as fiery as some of his previous ones. And I did wonder if he was really trying to ensure the players didn't go out too hyped up, feeling the occasion, or if it was just a subconscious thing, maybe he was feeling the nerves as well. I will say, I I knew it was a good speech because I noted down here, I actually felt let down on his behalf. <laughs> I felt like these players have let me down. Like, I'm, <laughs> yeah, like, I'm seeing this through, through the prism of Mikel Arteta. Like I said, I mean, they, they do a good job of building up in the documentary to the point where Holding is saying he just doesn't want to think about it. But <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I remember the lead up to that game. I've, I've never really felt anything like it in the sense that we've had cup finals before. Like the whole one, this would have been embarrassing if we lost. The Birmingham one was embarrassing when we lost, but there was still the expectation that we would win both. The mm. Villa one, the same. Chelsea, it was like, okay, I really want to beat Chelsea, but there's the whole thing of I don't want to lose to them and just the ramifications of everything with it. And I do think that carried over with the players. And we spoke about the game plan, as we've just said. Artetis was clearly almost like Liverpool style. We're going to nick it off you in the final third and before you've yeah. had a chance to adjust. And with the way we were scoring goals, I don't know if Eddie closing the keeper down against Leeds, cha- Leeds changed anything. Hmm. But every other team that had, had success against Spurs that season had done quite the opposite. So it was quite frustrating to watch back again. Um, and it was still, like you thought you were the home team and the fans were up with you and you were going to, right, we're going to use this and get them shook and squeeze it. But it was the yeah. total opposite. Maybe you thought we were going to shut them up and that was going to yeah. be... yeah. I still, you can show me as many angles as you want. I'm never going to think the Cedric one is a penalty. Ever. No. no. And it actually looked worse than I remembered it being because I'd avoided it for so long. The yeah, holding, I'd forgotten yeah. this. I, I knew there were obviously decisions and then I'd forgotten. I, I remembered the holding one. I'd forgotten the penalty. It's, yeah, the, the penalty is, I mean, in a, especially in a game like that, is mad. Yeah. Um, and as, as we say, the fact that he has just no... He's the one that didn't give it when Martinez last two weeks ago has just pushed someone in the back uh, against Brighton. Mm. Very irritating. Um, the Rob Holding one now, no complaints there. The, the fact, really, with the totality, they they don't show <clears throat> Son with his, uh, with his elbow that he has, but Holding probably lucky he doesn't get a straight red in this. Arteta a bit petulant in his interview after, even with the fact that it's not with the media where he says, as a defender, I think all defenders know if you're involved in football, there's nothing you can do here. He can't cut his arms off. What the (laughs) hell is he talking about? Yeah. Yeah. He's lost at that point, isn't he? 
uh, at half time, I was surprised Arteta was already saying, don't worry about it, there's two more games. This was at half time. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking, have I, have they just skipped straight to full yeah, time? Yeah, yeah. Because I was, this is an odd message to be sending. It felt like he all but said, look, damage limitation, boys. Mm. We don't yeah, want to yeah. get anyone else sent off. We don't want to do anything else. But No injury second half. <laughs> yeah, and then we do. We get Gabrielle injured in the yeah. second half. Yeah. It was, it was very weird for the first time really in the documentary. And there are obviously other times when he would have been like that. It looked like he just genuinely did not know what to do. No, no, you're right. And I can understand it because like every Arsenal fan in the world was like, oh, fuck. I know. We we knew what was happening at Newcastle before the Newcastle game happens. And I've got to think Arteta subconsciously is thinking, Christ. <laughs> we get that out of the way. I thought it was the right decision not to berate the players after the game and pretty much just say, we says, stay off social media, stay away from the media, we forget this. We don't ever talk about this game again. Don't give them shit. Give them nothing. I, I like that. That was good. And then, unfortunately, it just doesn't Weird. go that way in the game yeah, when we play yeah. Newcastle. Weird setup in that Spurs away dressing, by the way. It's, it was, yeah, it was, it's like it was like a weird shape. It's like a kitchen in the middle of the um, dressing room. Really weird. Strangers, I still think, was Leicester's. It looked like it was carpeted. <laughs> yeah. Something I didn't want to be overlooked, but like pre-game on this, they show a Spurs fan bantering Arsenal fan about winning a European Cup. Like, I didn't imagine that, did I? Um, I thought it was an Arsenal fan saying to a Spurs fan at first that you've never won an FA Cup, and then I rewound, and then you are correct. It is him saying you've never won a European Cup. He does call it a European Cup, which I was just like, I was so confused. I was like, He's forgetting is- the Cup Winners' Cup, clearly. But yeah, yeah. If you were going to go with the angle of and the European, European Cup, and you go that, but then he, he did make it quite specific that European Cup really was quite clear in what he was trying to get at. I was thinking, if this what? had been the, before the Chelsea game, well, okay, we make sense. <laughs> this makes no sense. No, I keep seeing Spurs fans whenever they're kind of going back and forth with an Arsenal fan. They post this Simpsons meme where it says, "Say the line, Gunner." And then the other one says, uh, how many trophies have you won? And all the Spurs fans supposedly have their hands in the air. Like, he said it. And it's like, what the hell is this? Like, who is this a win over? Yeah, that does seem quite significant. Um, I I can see the point they're making. Because if you were, like, in the relegation zone, and they were in the top four, and you brought up trophies, they'd be like, well. Yeah. yeah. But uh, as it is, that's not looking like it anyway. Um. Preparing for Newcastle, again, he's begging for fight and desire. Mm. And he doesn't get that. The fact they couldn't even really show a highlight for us in that game. I was about just to say, how abject yeah. It was it, bad. That and the Brighton game were as helpless as I felt all season. Like the Spurs one, there was at least, even at 2-0, uh, as much as you know it's not going to happen, in your head, you're like, okay, big games, crazy things happen. The Brighton and Newcastle ones, after two minutes of the game, you were like, we are not scoring here. Abject. 
and Arteta in the dressing room after says uh, embarrassing, unacceptable. I think he says it's like you're in a different world. He says you accept something like this, you're living in a different world. There you go. There you go. Um, he says today it's hard to defend you guys, but I will do it. I will take ownership again. Hell of a, get, a guilt trip, Matt. I now, says, I'm going to take the shit again. He says. Do you think there was all the fuss about Xhaka's interview now? And if you actually go back and watch Xhaka's interview, he opens with, we did not do what the coach told us to today. It's not about age. If you're not ready for a game like this, then stay on the coach. I thought after seeing Arteta's comments, this looks very much like Xhaka trying to take the ownership back onto the players Maybe because Arteta has said that in the in the in the dressing room. Yeah, you're you're probably right. They um, because he's this is the most vocal and sort of leadership role we see in Xhaka, I think, in in, a, in around this Newcastle game. Uh, and you're probably right because they all look as they should, like they feel pretty shitty. And then when Arteta walked out of the room, said, "I'll take the shit again," you must feel like such a a bastard. Like, we've just basically thrown in the towel and the manager is going to have to go front up for us. He nearly clocks Erdegaard in the head with his drinks bottle and he doesn't even flinch. <laughs> you could have had your own Fergie and Beckham scenario. The man is just ice cold. Um, you never did get that Odegaard segment you wanted in this. No, story. no. But this, when I saw that from Arteta, I went back and watched the Xhaka one and it did suddenly feel very much like... Yeah. Arteta was asked the next day, do you have an issue with it? And he pretty much said, no, that was his feelings. That's his thoughts. And so they all make sense now because it's like Xhaka is doing that to show Arteta, we don't think it's you. Put the blame on us. And then Arteta essentially isn't wanting to say, well, no, he's right. It was their fault. <laughs> yeah. And so he plays it very straight faced. And I guess it's almost a sign to Shaka. Like, thanks very much. Uh, I appreciate what you've done there. There's I one think... point where he goes, uh, you can't say anything because you've got to shut your mouth and eat it. And yeah. I did think it'd be quite incredible if someone had put their hand up and be like, that doesn't make sense, Mikael. <laughs> <laughs> well, he does it. He, go, he puts it across his mouth and goes, <laughs> <laughs> it. The mannerisms of him reminded me of uh, Tony Montana in Scarface with the hands. He's got everything going on. The swearing is magic as well. When him and same with the city doc with Pep, when Spanish blokes swear, it's just something else. Them saying fucking is just, there's an extra power to it. Well, at, at work, the, I was Fucking asked, unacceptable. Yeah, yeah, I was asked, there's a lot of, it's, it's just basically just effing this, effing that. I, was like, I don't think that's, I think that's probably just a common football thing. It's like if you if you're trying to show and get your point across, that's pretty much the go-to of showing. I I'm very serious violent, about this. Really, yeah, well. I don't think I didn't watch any of this before. Ooh, that's a bit much. No, that's what I point. I think the what the one people cringed at was the North London derby. Was, I fucking love this club. <laughs> and that was the one where people are. Is he just swearing for the sake of it? But I think that is. If you go and stand on a terrace on a Saturday afternoon, it's not particularly out of place, is it? I think this is just everyone. It's just testosterone, isn't it? Everyone's fired up. Everyone's pumping their chest. And I, I, the thing is, I got a thing with bad language where it's uh, it's obviously 
a sort of a, a blind spot for me because I whenever someone acts like they're offended about bad language, well, I just I guess I show my hand there. I'm, I think they're acting offended. I don't believe anybody is actually offended by it, which is my own fault because some people clearly are. But I, I've never really thought about it. I've always just to the point where maybe it's just you watch too many too much football or too many films or something because you almost don't really register when people are swearing sometimes it's that much but some people clearly don't like it but not no, not football documentary yeah we've we've fully grown adults then i completely agree i've always felt conflicted about the football when i've had a kid sat next to me and i've always yeah, thought yeah. ultimately the dad or whoever has brought them has brought them here knowing Accepting the risk of it. Yeah, because, I mean, what I say at the football is going to be very low-key compared to what you hear from some other people. Yeah. And so I've always kind of turned on, like, should you be doing this when there's, like, a six-year-old kid sat here? But at the same time, like, if the dad isn't batting an eyelid, I always think, all right, get on with it. And uh, if you like, don't if, drop, a, drop a C-bomb next year, I reckon you're yeah. Well, that was why I was... Ref- that some people do, and I thought, ooh. But... I can't say I felt dissimilar when Unai Emery was there or, <laughs> or when Lacazette's been trying to hold the ball up or whatever. So I completely uh, I understood it. There's not really much to talk about with the Everton game. I mean, Arteta sounds like a headmaster before the summer holidays saying, enjoy Very, your time yeah. off, lads. Um, so we can kind of gloss over that. Um, there is a guy who says about how he hasn't seen you qualify for Europe in however long. Yeah. I thought the guy was about to lie about his age and say, like, I haven't seen us qualify for Europe since I was a kid or something. I was like, Sir, you are about 40. Yeah. Not, you know, He's like about six years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think he was quite so dramatic when he said that. So if we kind of just, before we close off, just kind of reflect on the documentary as a whole, did you get more than you expected, less than you expected, or pretty much as you expected? Hmm. I guess the overarching thing is what I thought going in, that this is going to be carefully constructed, that the club will look good and the manager will look good. And I think both of those things are obviously true. So in that case, probably what I expected. But I do think we probably got uh, more of an insight into people's personalities than I maybe anticipated we were going to get. And I was more entertained than I probably thought it was going to be. You know, each of these taking plenty, plenty of notes down each time where I thought we'll probably have a 20 minute conversation and be done with it. So to that end, I guess it's been better than I expected. Yeah, I think if you compare it to the other documentaries, I think it's much more like the City one than it is this one. I think you kind of can compare and contrast because a lot of the City one is essentially based around this is why we're winners. And a lot of the Arsenal one, unfortunately, is this is why we aren't winners right now and this is what we're trying to do to change it. Mm. The Spurs one, I think, looking back now, I think there's a lot more. there was a lot more set pieces in it. I think it was a lot more catered for a casual audience. And I don't want to... I do want to dig Spurs out, but this isn't the reason I'm doing it here. I think with Arsenal, you have pretty much a guarantee. If I haven't seen the numbers that this was going to be your biggest season yet. I think even more so when the season ended as it did, this was going to be your biggest one yet. I think with Spurs, maybe you had to push the boat out a bit more to 
give people something to talk about because ultimately we had this quest for top four that is the narrative that goes the whole way through it. The Spurs one, there really wasn't anything like what they clinch conference league on the last day. That's literally, and I'm not even doing this because we, we finished even lower than them that season, but there wasn't really anything they were going for. And so you did need, whether it's a transfer story, whether it was Jose being Jose, whether it was it this guy, that guy out. And I think Jose gave you more than Arteta did. Jose, I don't imagine Jose signed off the final cut here. I'd be very surprised if Arteta didn't. And I think yeah. that could be a big difference. Yeah, they both, to be honest, it, in both cases, the managers were stealing the show at times. Um, but Jose for some of the drama and... Uh, Arteta for his antics, like you said, one was quite carefully constructed in his image, I think, and one was uh, not quite so much. Yeah, I, I think... It's difficult because I think on, on the ending of this one, there is a lot of all the interviews and stuff are trying to put a brave face on your season. Yeah. yeah. Really, and trying to say, actually, well, this is a step forward. As a, a culmination to it, in some, if you look at a lot of these films I've said before, I kind of shot like a goal film or whatever. You kind of feel like this is such a damp squib to end on it's just kind of a bit of a just a disappointing end but you obviously you can't change that because it's not you're not writing the story no you are right to say that's even more the case with spurs who obviously don't take a race down to the final day or whatever so there's even less to go on for them you're bouncing around quite a lot there i don't know if you're uh oh sorry i wasn't moving no i don't know i don't know what it is to be um i thought they set the stall out pretty early when you had slow motions for the norwich game I thought that should have told you at this point. If this wasn't what you were tuning in for, then probably yeah. don't bother with the the following seven episodes here because that really did show you the way that this was being framed. It, it was very much framed as... I can't even think of uh, the, the film name now. The kid's playing hockey and it's this big underdog story and maybe it's like a rocky one where... The Mighty Ducks. Yeah, that's it. We're framing it like... We just couldn't quite get over, but look how far we've come and look how brilliant we are. And ultimately, if we're closer as a team at the end of it, isn't that the real trophy? Isn't that what we've all come here for? It was a film, though, like we were concentrating on the destination, but little did we know it's yeah. actually about the journey. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think there were certain players I'd like to have seen more from. From what I've read about how this was set up, there obviously they filmed for a whole season there was plenty of content so i think if you didn't see a player it's because they didn't want to be seen or they weren't interesting enough basically <laughs> and it didn't make it boring yeah well I, I think in this team you've got quite a mix of um characters and then you've got these guys that are kind of the perfect foil for them like for every ramsdale you've got a tommy asu who we hear one little sentence from at the end and for every Rob Holding, you've got a Cedric. We, I guess we see it, maybe that's a harsh one. For every Rob Holding, we've got a Tavares. And so I think they quite carefully constructed it. And I think once they realized the characters they had, if we're saying it was shot in like a film kind of way, you, you see in Ketia at the start, don't you, where they mention 
Eddie Nketiah has had a disappointing time. He's not scored of late. And then you see his progression to the point where he's starting by the end of it. They show Rob Holding. He works away, he works away, and he's on the bench each time. And then his crescendo is when he gets this goal against West Ham and it puts us further in the uh, top four race. And so I think they more followed the development of a small group of players rather than the whole squad and us hearing a little bit from, I don't know, Gabriel or hearing a bit from Erdegaard and maybe they just didn't get as much as they thought was useful from the other guys. Yeah, yeah. Look, maybe maybe someone had a great little cameo in there. Furious that it's been cut. Yeah. We'll soon find out. In in Xhaka and Saka and Smith Rowe and Arteta, you've kind of got. It's Rob Holding. You've got quite a core group there of guys that gave you more than enough. And if the other guys in the squad kind of featured in their story, I think that was good enough for them. Yeah, yeah. I think. You got, I think, at least an insight into the to the characters of almost all the players. Really, there was just someone on the outskirts that you didn't. Um, and like I said, of the available ones, you would have probably expected someone like Odegaard to maybe be in there a little bit more. Outside of that, I don't think there's anybody in that squad that you looked at and thought, "I'm surprised we didn't hear more from them," even yeah. because of their status in the team or like language or whatever, where you think they might be limited in what they could give us anyway. I think this does show me that Xhaka probably is the real captain of Arsenal still. And he's mentioned several times in interviews, hasn't he, that I don't need to wear the armband to be the captain of this team. And I expect everyone to be doing the same job regardless of whether they've got an armband on or not. And maybe his personality with Odegaard is actually the perfect two-punch in terms of their leadership in that if Xhaka can really just back up what Odegaard is asking from the players... Probably going to be a perfect mix, but I thought from everything we saw, and I kind of got this impression from Xhaka anyway, I think he's the guy who I understand more coming out of the documentary. I don't think my opinion changed. I don't think my opinion changed of anyone, but he's the guy who I feel I have the greatest uh, change in understanding of from where I started. Yeah. Yeah, I think if people had a negative opinion of Xhaka going in, I think it should have at least improved. And, and maybe for has. some people entirely changed. I think for some people. Um, if, if people thought he was just a rash, hothead idiot, then this will obviously change it entirely. If you thought there was a bit more nuance to it, then you're probably going, okay, I, I maybe suspected this and he's showing it then. Yeah, I'm just going by the conversations I've had in just several places, the barbershop work and and another Arsenal fan and everyone's opinion on Xhaka does seem to have uh, the people that didn't like him before do seem to have warmed to him in the very least of it's just like I didn't think he was like that and yet every teammate you ever heard from has said nothing but fantastic things about him and as we've said, managers have kept him no matter yeah. what. So, that, you know, if he was doing some of his sort of indiscretions on the pitch and he was a bad character, then they wouldn't they wouldn't have kept him around, would they? Well, look at the difference in how Pepe was treated after being sent off compared to how Xhaka was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Valid. Um, 
Arteta, if if there if this was a movie poster, Arteta's face would be front and center here. Um, it may even be that he's the only name that's featured at the top of the poster. Maybe Pakayo <laughs> Saka's name slightly lower down. Has your opinion changed on him at all from watching the documentary? And if so, has it been for the better, worse, or how has it changed? Uh, so, so some of his things. I, I like him more. I definitely like him more. Um, I think he's definitely more eccentric than you thought. Some of his stuff is a little cringe, but funny and does work. So I'm not, you know, I'm certainly not um, questioning his methods. It is a little bit odd for me. And I think with the wrong group of players, it maybe could go sideways. But I think he's also got a very keen understanding of how of working people out and getting them on side. Uh, and I think he's got a more well-rounded skill set as a manager than I probably thought. And he's probably a nicer guy as well. He can laugh yeah. himself a little bit, which I, I, do, I do like. I thought we saw quite a lot of growth from him as the season went on and as the documentary went on. And so I quite liked the little updates from Edu in terms of he's doing better with the players now and these little things. Um, I really thought the Spurs game was the only time I questioned it. Yeah, he's the only time where I thought he's not in control here. He's kind of he doesn't quite know what he's doing. Like you said, the nerves or whatever it was, he just seemed off. Other than that, and you it, couldn't question him. It feels cheap to use it as an excuse, and I'm not doing so. But that is essentially what when you sign a young manager, you're accepting that that's going to happen because he hasn't experienced that before. The highest pressure game of his career before that, there was no fans. Yeah, yeah, true. And so we, I think this season we'll look to, because everything looks rosy for Arsenal at the moment. We play two games and I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying we're going to win the league, but I'm saying it's going to be close. <laughs> and the, the, the big thing this season is we haven't, we haven't lost a game yet. And so are we going to lose two, three on the spin or is it going to be, we lose one and then we bounce back straight after. And that's where we'll see. If the new, if the young manager has learned his lesson, um, I thought it was quite interesting. If you compared to the Jose one, where he's very assured in everything he does, um, I thought Arteta put on that front. Whereas at times you saw that maybe he wasn't quiet and he was trying to work it out on the job. Yeah, it's probably true. The um, do you think this has? strengthened his position I, I say it for example if you if you had a bad run in the league this year at some point because we said didn't we that the pressure is going to be on him this year because you, you've brought some good players in there's some expectation now and if he doesn't work out you say well look this is your team you can't say it's not your team anymore do you think this would have helped him that he won't come under pressure like he perhaps would have I think if you didn't like him going in there's enough here that it at least has yeah. maintained your position or made it worse. And even just the team talks, you, your reaction to that basically was predetermined by what you thought of him going in. So if you I didn't rate him as a manager, you'd have thought this is trash. Yeah. What yes. I do think is, I think if you were neutral on him going in, then he's going to have gained some favour. I think people always like to see a rich boy like Aubameyang get put in his place. And yeah. I think that's how it came across in here. And 
I think there's a thing, even if we don't believe it, that when we look at these guys and they're they're rich and they're spoiled and all of these preconceived notions, I think when you see someone getting kind of whipping them up into shape, that always comes across well. Like just look at Simeone's PR for for example. <laughs> yeah. And I think for a lot of the media guys who were unsure on him, I think for now it's going to be uh positive and I think he'll have gained some favour. But yeah. I do think there will be little things that maybe we haven't even considered now that when they go wrong, people will point out and go, Well remember that happened in the documentary? Because like Deli Ali, I was sort that when there was some big talk sport discussion on him, and they were going, well, remember the documentary when Jose said he was a shit trainer? Yeah, and people yeah. laughed at it at the time, and now we're looking, okay, maybe you were. Mm. And I think there will be something like that, whether it's a team talk that's brought up, whether it's a handling of a player. I think that will be something where there's at least a reference point to it, and people can form more of an opinion. So I think if you want to craft a narrative on him, then you at least have more ammo to use now. But I think for the most part, I think it's probably strengthened his position more than it has weakened it because yeah. he looks like, I agree. He looks like this <clears throat> Godfather figure that he was trying to put out there. Yeah. It's been a successful, successful sort of PR piece, hasn't it? If that's what he wanted. Yeah. If, your opinion had gone down on anyone or if you came out of this with a negative opinion on anyone who would you say that applied to the most i guess from a and i wasn't expecting him to be shouting and bawling i guess from a leadership perspective i potentially was expecting a little bit more from odegaard yeah. um i just think in the dressing room stuff You've got some characters, and I don't think even in a you can kind of tell if someone has like a quiet authority to them, which is what from what people were saying about Odegaard. And obviously, in, he is no way captain, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought he'd probably have a little bit more of that about him. And may, again, maybe they just cut most of the stuff with him in, even the one or two things that probably would have swayed my opinion on that. Um, I thought maybe we would have seen a bit more of that. I, I didn't, I wouldn't say there's anybody who's stock went down in my eyes but that if you would if i had to find an answer that would probably something along those lines would probably be it i thought your answer may have been edu after last week unless your opinion of him just <laughs> stayed as it was i, I was going to say i thought he was a bit of a chancellor and a charlatan anyway and this <laughs> yeah. really just confirmed he's the worst stereotype of people in that job yeah with with Erdegaard, and this will be the only time i compare the two i think at least he tries to do the uh, Van Persie seemed like he was quite outspoken. Maybe Thierry Henry and I'm going to show you how it's done rather than tell you how it's done. And I think there's a couple of instances we see of him, even if it's just kind of gesturing on the pitch. I thought we were going to see more nuance from him in terms of his tactical awareness and telling someone this is how you should be moving in the second half, etc. I've got, to, I've got to think he's not silent because I've heard multiple interviews from players where they do say, when he talks, you listen, because he's experienced more than most of us just from the clubs that he's been at already. Yeah. Um, and so I've got to think there's more to that, but I imagine the way it comes across, it probably isn't as interesting as Shaka slamming a drinks bottle down and <laughs> Arteta threatening to 
bang Nuno in his face. Yeah, I just thought you had a, a few quiet moments from other players in there that I thought all they had to do was show us one or two of Odegaard to get yeah, that across. Yeah. But I, I, I felt I came out with a pretty good understanding of uh, Gabriel's personality or Martinelli's personality or even Cedric's personality. Yeah, so I, yeah, I yeah. kind of come out none the wiser with Odegaard. Yeah, agreed. Maybe he's just shy, but he does he speaks in interviews quite well, so I really don't know. Oh, no, it is odd. Because I really hope this season, after a loss, and I was joking, they're obviously, <laughs> obviously going to be coming at some point. I I really hope he's the guy that comes in and speaks to uh, the media because that's something that's bugged me with Arsenal for years is we've had captains, whether it be Lacazette, Aubameyang, and Aubameyang was awful for it. And it's like, well, just send Saka out when we've yeah. been pumped by someone. And I'd like the if there's one thing I'll credit Harry Maguire for, no matter how much shit United go through, <laughs> he's the guy that goes and stands in front of the press every time and says, we're going to try and do better next week. I know I understand this is bad. Credit to the fans. I just want to see the captain doing that. So that's where I would have liked to see more from Odegaard. But shit, Maguire does the uh, Arteta when he leaves the dressing room. He's like, I'm going to go take the shit for you again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I imagine he's probably laughed out of the dressing room if he does try that. <laughs> Ronaldo going, this guy, this guy. <laughs> but I think that's pretty much it with the documentary. The only other thing to comment on is what we didn't see. And I did say I thought they were going to reference the COVID stuff when the Spurs away game happened. No mention of it. If I was going to be kind to the club then it's because the training ground was shut and so they couldn't get any footage if I'm going to go the opposite way and the way the rest of the show has been produced they thought no thank you well other people talk there's no need for it when Arteta said as you said after the Newcastle game don't give them anything feels like that was maybe the method they took yeah I think they probably took the we're scrambling to get a game called off. It might not look good, so we'll just not put it in. Yeah. And they don't mention it on either end, do they? So no. I guess they're consistent with it. No, I, I think maybe if we win that game, maybe it's done differently. But I think yeah. Yeah. the way Conte spoke about us afterwards, it does feel like from the fans right up to the players, to the managers... There is a feeling that just about everyone involved with both clubs does dislike the other. Apart from Kuliszewski, <laughs> who uh, still wants to sign for us. So there we go. don't know if you saw that interview. I did not. No, I'll have to check that yeah, out. He's, he's, well, he's spoken previously that Arsenal was the club he'd like to play for. And then we know that he nearly signed for us before he signs for Spurs. And he did an interview after the season. He comes across, across as quite funny, actually. Yeah, he tells, yeah, he tells a good story. And he said, people around me know that there's one club that I would like to play for at some point in my career. I won't say it now, <laughs> but people around me know. And maybe Arsenal fans are reading too much into it on previous interviews, but felt a little strange <laughs> with how he said it. So we'll cling on to that at least. Uh... And if you can't get him, Matt Docky. Yeah, so... exactly. Mind you, if it was him or Emerson Royale, I'd probably be quite happy to take uh, <laughs> Doherty. But unless there's anything else you want to add, I'm sure we're here 
Jack and Alex's final thoughts on Monday. I'm sure they'll have listened to all eight episodes Absolutely. of us talking about it as well, of course. I know Troy has, so thankful to him at least. Respect. But thank you to anyone that has tuned in for these. Unfortunately, this will be the last time I get to use a picture of the Emirates as our uh, cover image. Maybe that'll be the new one moving forward. But thank you for listening. We'll be back on Monday. Goodbye.